Welcome to all of you. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted to welcome you to worship this morning. Delighted to welcome all of you joining us by video. Franklin Campus, Perry, Oklahoma. We love all of you and ask you just to join with us now as we open our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, uh, please take a Bible. If you're in this room, uh, there's a pew Bible in front of you there in the rack. Grab that Bible if you would and follow along as we look into God's word this morning. Luke chapter 22, we're going to look at one of the more difficult stories out of the life of, of, of St. Peter, Simon Peter. I don't know what you think about when you read the Bible. I don't know how you relate to these stories. I know for me that having grown up in church and having read these stories and having them, them be so familiar to me, it probably is, it came later for me when I, it really dawned on me that these are real stories, that these are real people, and that the things in Scripture, these things happened. Again, the fact that I heard the stories in Sunday school and saw the pictures, I don't know. It was some point later when it really sunk in deep with me that, that, that Simon Peter was a real man, that, that Jesus really lived and walked, and that these stories happened. As real as my life, as real as your life, Simon Peter's life is real. And the story we read this morning, this is real. And now Pastor Eric will talk about keeping it real up in Franklin sometimes. And I've heard people say that one of the reasons they like Woodburn Baptist Church is because we have a whole lot of real people. Now, what do you think that means? Are they paying us a compliment when they say you're a real person? Because they probably said it when you were walking around with toilet paper on your shoe. You know that? Well, what does it mean to say somebody's a, a real person, keeping it real? Uh, I, I, honestly, it, it does have to do sometimes with having the toilet paper on your shoe. A, a real person is a person that's not pretending, not trying to be anything other than what they are already, and we do really want to keep it real. And, and I want you to understand that Scripture keeps it real. If you read other world religions, if you read their holy books, one of the amazing things you'll find is, is that there won't be any stories like the one we're going to read this morning about a saint, about Peter. Because honestly, this is not a flattering story for him. Not a flattering story at all, but Scripture tends to keep it real. Scripture tends to portray God's people exactly as they are, and sometimes that's not pretty. Sometimes that's not flattering. If the stories are real, then understand something else. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, these books were written. And the Gospel of Luke that we're looking at this morning, Luke says in particular at the front end of his Gospel that one of the things that he did in preparation to, to write this story, or to write the Gospel down, one of the things he did was go back and try to talk to people, to interview the eyewitnesses. So, so let that sink in. As Luke prepares to write the Gospel of Luke, one of the things he probably did was go back and find the real people, the eyewitnesses, and one of the people he would have talked to would have been Peter. And understand, this is Peter's story. Nobody else was around who would have told this story after Peter. This is Peter's story. This is a story that he would have told about himself. When Peter was talking about Jesus or when Peter was preaching the gospel, when Peter was talking about his life as a disciple, this is one of the stories he would have told. This story here. It's the only way we would have it. Peter tells it. And honestly, when Peter would tell his story, this would have to be the low point. This is Peter's low point. I want us to read it together so that we know what to do when we find ourselves in our own low point. Uh, Luke chapter 22. 
It picks up right in the middle of the story, right in the middle of Jesus having been betrayed and arrested. And I know you know that part, or I trust that you'll go back and read that part. I'm going to pick up in verse 54, Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Luke twenty two fifty four. this is the word of the Lord. So they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. Okay, let's stop right there. Peter follows at a distance. Jesus predicted that all of the disciples would scatter. They would all run, and indeed they all did. When Jesus was arrested, there's a moment after which they all scatter. They all leave Jesus alone, and the guards proceed with Jesus to take him to trial. But notice something amazing happens. Peter loops back around. Now, whatever else you can say about Peter, understand, he follows, it's at a distance, but he still follows. Most of the disciples don't even do that. They've gone on home now. They've gone to find out who gets voted off a survivor tonight. They're gone. But Peter circles back around and follows at a distance. It's important. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at Peter and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. Galileans had a a, a really strange dialect that they sounded redneck when they talked and everybody knew if you were from Galilee. So they said, this man's a Galilean. He must be one of them too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. Deny three times that you even knew me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. Take your seats. I've been driving cars, I guess, for 30 years, three decades, something like that. But but there was one time in my life, just one time when I had a a total blowout. You know what a blowout is? Uh, We were on our way to Florida. The car was loaded down. We had bikes strapped on the back, a little Honda Accord. We were flying down down to to Florida, and along the way, we had a a complete total blowout. A a tire in the back just gave way. There was a, a loud noise, and suddenly the car was very difficult to control. It was really a scary thing. Wove around. We're on the interstate, probably going 70 miles an hour. Uh, finally got the car stopped. It was one of the scariest things that has ever happened to me. Anybody ever had a total blowout like that? You ever had it? In spite of the fact that we talk about that and we use the language of a blowout, honestly, in 30 years, that's the only total blowout I've ever had. Just that one time that I had a total, complete blowout and, and I'm suddenly stranded on the side of the road. That's not normally what I experience. I have only had one total blowout, but I have had a lot of slow leaks. You know what a slow leak is? Yeah, this is what I have more than anything else. I I have slow leaks. Not a total blowout, just a slow leak. Kind of what 
like what happened to Henry and Marie Smalling once when they were on a road trip. And this is a story, Marie, that your son Hank tells. Hank was in the back seat. Henry and Marie and the kids are all driving somewhere. And all of a sudden, they start hearing this noise. Blub, 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 blub. They just start hearing this noise. And Marie says, Henry, do you hear that? Henry said, Marie, I don't hear anything. And they just keep driving. Blub, 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 blub. They can hear this noise in the back. Blub, 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 blub. Finally, Henry turns radio and says, Listen, Ray, I think I hear it. And they start listening. You hear that noise? Blah, 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 blah. Now, now, again, Henry Smalling is an educator, smart man. He says, I know what that is. Y'all know what the sound was? You know what it is? Henry said, helicopter. <laughs> Must be a helicopter. Blah, 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 blah. So they're just driving, and the longer they drive, the louder that helicopter gets. Blah, 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 blah. The helicopter. Henry's looking out the windshield, looking up to see where the helicopter is because you can hear it like it's right over the car. Blah, 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 blah. And, and finally, the car gets a little hard to control. You understand? It was not a helicopter, it was a tire. Yeah, a slow leak. A slow leak. I want you to think about a slow leap because when we talk about the kind of failure that you see in Scripture here where a a disciple, a man of God like Peter has this kind of failure, I want you to understand that that this kind of failure is, is rarely a total blowout. It just doesn't always happen that way, and I would say it doesn't usually happen that way. When a disciple of Jesus, when, when a devoted, sincere, dedicated follower of Jesus fails, it's usually not a sudden total blowout. It is a slow leak. It is a slow leak of faith. It is something that begins somewhere back in time, and it, it, it begins slowly to get worse and worse until suddenly your spiritual life is impossible to control. Do you understand? It's a slow leak. And in the case of Peter in this story, it's a slow leak. You've got to understand, Peter is a dedicated follower of Jesus. He's not one of these bystanders. He's not a casual follower. Peter is a man who left everything to follow Jesus, absolutely everything. Now, Peter was often clumsy in in what he would say, and often he was a little bit impulsive, and we love to tell the stories of Peter and laugh at Peter, but I'm telling you, you are going to be hard-pressed to find someone more dedicated to Christ, someone more sincere, someone more completely sold out to Jesus than Peter was. You just find me somebody more dedicated than Peter. And this is the hard thing for many of us to really understand and grasp, but that is that sometimes very, very dedicated, very sincere, very sold-out disciples of Jesus Christ will fail. Sometimes very, very serious Christians will fail. In some of our thinking, we don't even leave room for that. We don't even imagine that that would ever happen so that when it happens, we have no way to explain it. I want to explain it to you. It happens. It happens to very serious, very dedicated followers of Jesus, and it's very likely to happen to you. It's very, very likely that at some point in your Christian life, you're going to fail. And you may fail miserably. You may completely bottom out just like Peter bottoms out in this story. This could happen to you. But I really want you to understand that if it were to happen to you or when it happens to you, it's not likely to be a total blowout. It's probably going to be a slow leak. 
your faith is going to spring a slow leak. And you don't suddenly find yourself at the bottom. There's sort of a descent. You go down slowly. It just slowly begins to drain away until suddenly you find yourself at the bottom. You find yourself at the point of failure. But it's probably a slow leak. That's what happened to Peter. So in your life, when, when your faith springs this kind of slow leak... What are the signs of that? How would you know if your own life is beginning to sort of spiral in a direction away from Christ? What are the signs of that? Honestly, there there are all kinds of ways that that this would be expressed in your life. But I would just try to say that that, that for the the normal Christian life, when you're uh, loving the Lord and you're following the Lord and you're in the Word and, and and you're at prayer, there's a kind of synchronization that takes place. Paul calls it being in the Spirit. But there is this normal way of life, and I stress normal. This is the normal way of life for the Christian. It is being in the Spirit, and there's a certain synchronization involved in that. We move with the Spirit. We're able to feel with the Spirit. The Spirit leads us. The Spirit speaks to us. We're sort of in cycle with the Holy Spirit. We're in fellowship with the Lord, you might say. But when our faith springs a leak, when we begin to drift away from him, what happens is that we get out of cycle with the Holy Spirit. We get out of synchronization. So all of the sudden, we're up when the Spirit would have us down. Or we're down when the Spirit would have us up. We sort of get out of cycle, out of synchronization with the Holy Spirit. Is that making any sense? But you're going to see it in the life of Peter. You can see it in the stories that lead up to this colossal failure of his. He gets out of synchronization with the Spirit. In other words, he is always on when he ought to be off, and he's off when he ought to be on. Totally out of sync with the Holy Spirit. Now, now how does that happen? Or I would say, when does that happen? We sort of notice back in the story, back when Jesus first starts talking about the cross and trying to explain how the Son of Man, how Jesus himself is going to have to suffer and going to have to die, but then raised in three days. And as soon as Jesus starts talking about suffering, as soon as Jesus starts explaining that the road of discipleship is going to be a road of suffering and difficulty, all of a sudden, Peter starts trying to rebuke Jesus. It's at those moments when Peter starts saying, no, Lord, that can't be the way it's going to be. Do you understand? All of a sudden, Peter really isn't anymore flowing with Jesus. He's not with Jesus anymore. He's actually trying to correct Jesus and explain what Jesus' mission is going to be. See, at any point when Jesus says one thing and you want to say something else, that's a good sign that your life is out of sync. And that's how it starts happening with Peter. Jesus says that they'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. He tells the disciples, every one of you, all of you will abandon me. Peter says, not me. These other clowns might, these other doofuses might abandon you. But Jesus, if everybody else forsakes you, I'll be there. I will have your back, Jesus. You can count on me. Yeah, just really interesting. Whenever you start thinking about how the Lord can count on you, you've probably stopped counting on the Lord. When you start stressing how the Lord can can count on you, you've lost your focus. You have probably stopped counting on the Lord. And that's Peter. 
Jesus says, before the cock crows, before the rooster crows in the morning, before this day is done, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no way, no way, never, not me. Then you know the story. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're there at a place of prayer. And Jesus says, Peter, I want you to watch. I want you to pray. But what does Peter do? He sleeps. He sleeps. When he should be praying, he is now sleeping. Do you understand? He is off when he ought to be on. This is the out of sync I'm talking about. Peter is now always out of place, always out of cycle. Whatever Jesus wants for him, Peter is going to do the opposite. It's not intentional. It's a kind of slow leak. Do you understand? Peter's not aware of what is happening. But it's at this moment, this moment when Jesus says, you've got to pray. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tempted in a way that you've never experienced. You've got to stay awake. You've got to pray. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak, Peter. Watch and pray. Peter sleeps. He is off when he ought to be on. Suddenly, the soldiers come. Judas arrives. Jesus is betrayed. And Peter is trying to wake from his slumber. Have you read this part of the story? Peter's trying to wake up. He he springs into action. And this is the really, really strange thing. Because Jesus has been saying, Peter, you're going to be tempted. Satan has already asked that he might sift you like wheat. Peter, you are going to go through the fire. And Peter wakes up now. He must think this is the moment. He must think this is his fight. So the story goes, Peter grabs a sword. And in that moment when they're trying to arrest Jesus... Peter goes to fight. He grabs a sword and starts whacking away at Roman soldiers. The story says that Peter actually slices off the ear of one of the temple guards, slices off his ear. That would be me with a sword. Don't even let me near anything sharp. Whacks off the guy's ear. Now, honestly, Peter's not dumb, and he's not completely inadequate with the sword. The soldiers typically wore a helmet with one seam, One welded seam down the middle. And the only way, the only way to crack the skull of a Roman soldier was to take your sword and try to pop him right in that seam. Right down the middle. It was the only way to crack the armor. Peter must have been trying that. Slices off his ear. But what does Jesus do? This is amazing. Peter had said, if everybody else scatters, you'll count on me. I'll be there. And honestly, when the moment comes... Or so Peter thinks, he springs into action, he's got the sword, he's whacking, he's slicing, he's dicing, he's making julian fries, you understand? And Jesus says, that's enough Peter, put away your sword, that's enough, this is not your fight. Now again, you notice in the pattern, when Peter should have been praying, he's sleeping. When he should be on, he's off. Now when he should be off, he's on. You understand? This is not your fight, Peter. And yet off Peter goes. He's completely out of sync. Totally out of sync with the Lord. On when he should be off. Off when he should be on. You've probably been there. If we were really, really honest about your life right now, some of you are are living in this phase. You are out of sync with the Spirit, completely out of step with Christ. You call yourself a disciple. You want to think that you're following Him, but you're out of step with Him. 
And I'm not sure you understand that. I'm not sure you see that. I'm not sure that Peter sees that. Because that's the frightening thing about Peter now. Being completely out of sync, completely out of cycle with the Holy Spirit, he's really, really vulnerable now. Understand in the garden, he thought that was his fight. He told Jesus, if, if I have to go to prison, I'll go to prison. I'll even die for you. And he meant that. I promise he meant that. The problem is he didn't recognize his fight. He thought the Roman soldier, the temple guards, the guys with torches and swords, he thought that was his fight, completely out of cycle with Jesus. That was not his fight. Peter's fight comes an hour or so later. And he's not expecting it. Now Peter's following at a distance, and I guess you could say that's admirable. Other people have left Jesus, but Peter is there. He's close enough to lock eyes with Jesus. You understand that? At a distance, but as close as he can be. He draws himself over, and he has a seat by the fire where the crowd is, where the guards are. And he sits down and starts to warm himself. He hasn't said a word to anybody. He doesn't want to say a word to anybody. He has no idea what's about to happen. See, Jesus says Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And so I suppose that Peter thinks he'll know Satan when Satan shows up. I I expect that Peter was thinking that he'll know that fight when it's on him. But this is the thing. When Satan wants to attack you, when he's going to sift you like wheat, He's extremely good at slipping in when you don't even know that the fight's on. And this is the danger of Peter now, completely out of cycle with the Spirit. He doesn't know the fight is on. Sitting there by the fire, there's this creepy little girl, honestly, a creepy little girl who just starts looking at him. Looking at him. Like in one of those Omen movies, understand? Just creepy little girl looking at him. For the longest time, she stares at him, and then she says... You're one of them. It's just a little girl. A a little girl. He was ready for the Roman soldier with the sword. He wasn't really expecting that it would be a little girl. And the little girl says, you were one of his disciples, weren't you? And Peter says, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Interesting. Fight's on. But he's not fighting. He's off when he should be on. Do you understand that? Sit there, another man says, actually, I I think I saw you with him too. I think I've seen you with him. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Man, you don't know what you're talking about, Peter says. And he continues to try to warm himself and be invisible. Finally, somebody says, I can tell by the way you talk. You're from Galilee. You're a redneck, man. You must be one of them. Because Jesus and all his disciples are from Galilee. You're one of them. And Peter begins with curses to deny that he ever knew Jesus. And then the rooster crows. Before he can get the last four-letter word out of his mouth, the rooster starts to crow. Do you understand? The rooster always crows. The problem is you and I don't often understand until it's too late that we have failed Christ, that we have denied him, that we have absolutely hit bottom. We don't always know it until the rooster crows because it's kind of a slow leak. It's not a total sudden blowout. It's a slower thing. It's a fade, you understand? And this is how it happened to Peter, and this is how it happens for you. Some of you in this house right here today, you are off and you ought to be on. Do you understand? Out of cycle with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting what you'll pour yourself into except that you don't pour yourself into Christ. 
It'd be interesting to know how many of our teenagers have read a single verse of the Bible on their own this week. I will be interested. I'm not going to ask you, but it will be interesting how many teenagers have read a single verse of the Bible because you want to know something about teenagers these days? The average teenage girl sends over 4,000 text messages a month. 4,000, and that's how many she sends. Now understand, for everyone she sends, there's probably one coming back. That's like 8,000 text messages going across your phone. And that's the girls. What about guys? Guys are cooler. Guys aren't so needy. Guys aren't doing 4,000. How many think you think guys are doing? About 2,500. About 2,500. Way to go, guys. Boy, y'all are tough. About 2,500. That's just how many they're sending. And for everyone you send, there's one coming back. That's like 5,000 text messages in a month. And these are very, very important messages. Out of 5,000 of them, 2,500 of them say, I'm bored, text me. Am I right? Half of them say, I'm bored, text me. The other half are like, OMG, guess who's at the mall? (laughs) Interesting. You're really on when it comes to your phone. Really on when it comes to text messages. That's interesting because you may not have read a single Bible verse this whole month, but you can do like 4,000 text messages. There's something wrong with your life. Something wrong when you're on your way to church and you realize that you don't have your Bible, but you just drive on to church, but you realize you don't have your phone, and you're going to do a U-turn in the interstate, baby. You can't be without your phone. Seriously? Seriously? We got people who will spend their whole week, man, on the telephone or with their friends gossiping. And I know gossip isn't something that we preach about very much because that sounds old-timey, except that some of us have perfected it. It's not old-timey for most of us. We can still gossip, baby, like it's a brand new thing, like we invented it. And we gossip. Spend your whole week on the phone, on email, on Facebook, just gossiping about people, talking about other people, talking about their lives, talking about their clothes, talking about how they look, talking about everything about other people. Man, we're all about that. But then when it comes to, to perhaps trying to share Christ with somebody, you feel like that's too personal. You don't like to talk about religion because that gets personal. Now you can talk about who's sleeping with who. Apparently that's public knowledge. That's not personal. But you get a little tongue-tied when it's time to talk about Jesus. You understand? You are on when you ought to be off, and you are off when you ought to be on. There's this incredible way in which your life is totally out of cycle. Totally out of cycle. We got men who the first beautiful days of spring, baby, they're out there getting gasoline and they're changing the oil in their lawnmower and they're sharpening the blades and they're polishing the seat and they're out there. They are in heaven on that lawnmower. They'll mow their yard. They'll mow the neighbor's yard. They'll just drive up and down looking for something else to mow. But on Sunday, you can't get that joker out of bed to come to church. You understand? And he could be a deacon. He could be a Christian, but the world is filled with Christians who are totally out of cycle with the Lord, completely out of sync. They are on when they ought to be off, and they are off when they ought to be on. And I'm telling you, this is that slow leak that I'm trying to describe to you. 
You are headed for disaster. You are going to completely bottom out. Your descent is a little bit slow. The fact is there's a spiritual fight that's waging every single day. The devil wants to sift you like wheat. But you don't even recognize when the fight comes. You're not even fighting at all. You're just floating through your life completely out of sync with the movements of the Holy Spirit. It's a slow leak. So that third time, a man around the fire there says, I I know by the way you talk, you got to be a Galilean. You must be one of them. This time Peter lays on some cuss words to make it obvious that he's not a disciple. He really wants to convince him. He starts laying on the cuss words and cursing and saying, I don't know him. I've never seen him. You don't know what you're talking about. And while he was still talking, rooster crows. And then something amazing happens. I can't explain it. I don't understand the choreography of it. But at that moment, Jesus and Peter lock eyes. Jesus looks at Peter. I'm not sure what's in that face, that look. I I have my guesses, but honestly, only Peter knows. Peter looked Jesus in the face, and he melted. Peter melted. A couple of years ago, I took a tour of Newmather Metals. It's a factory in Franklin, Kentucky that makes stabilizer bars for cars. How many of you ever been to Newmather? A lot of you work there, I know. It's really sort of an amazing factory. It's super, super clean. Pastor Eric, super clean place. But honestly, what they do is they take these, these solid steel bars, just bars of steel, and they heat them. And this is the amazing part. I watched the cold rods go into a machine and then come out of another machine and they're glowing red hot. Glowing red hot. And this giant steel bar goes into this machine and you can see it happen. This machine just bends it like a coat hanger in two places. This solid steel rod just bends like a coat hanger, like, like, like a pipe cleaner. Do you understand? It just bends. And then it goes on and at the end of the line... It's solid again, solid steel, hard, unbendable. See, the whole point, the whole magic of the, that process, the important moment at New Mather is, is what they would call the molten moment. The molten moment. It is that moment when that steel bar is hot enough to bend. But honestly, if it's allowed to cool at all, if it doesn't happen in that moment, then it grows brittle and it's good for nothing. It's this split second, this molten moment when that rod can be bent into something useful. The the molten moment. This moment when Jesus locks eyes with Peter. This moment when Peter hits the absolute bottom. This slow leak of faith that leads Peter down to this horrible, horrible place. At that moment, he locks eyes with Jesus. And I'm telling you, Peter melts. It's a molten moment for him. And and, and I want you to understand that when you hit the bottom, in that moment of failure for you, It's a molten moment. It's a horrible moment, I will grant you that. You are in the fire, and I promise you, you melt. But this is also something amazing. If you will put yourself back in the Lord's hands, put yourself back under the care of Jesus, he will bend you into something useful. 
He will take your life from the bottom, from out of the fire. He will take you and bend you into something useful. This church needs a molten moment. We need a molten moment. Some of you in this house, in the sound of my voice, you need that kind of molten moment. Your heart has gotten very hard, and you no longer listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You're living your life, you're calling yourself a Christian, everything seems to be going well for you, but I'm telling you, what you don't understand is that you are not in step with the Spirit. Your faith has sprung this slow, slow leak, and you're no longer praying, but you don't even miss the fact that you're not praying anymore. You jump to your feet if we're going to read Scripture in church, but you don't open your Bible for the rest of the week. Do you call that reverence for God's Word? There's this slow leak in your life, and you're not seeing it, and you're not feeling it, but I want you to please understand, your life is not in cycle with Christ. You think you're following Him, but you are desperately and tragically out of step. You need a molten moment. You need that moment when you can somehow look back at the face of Jesus and melt before him. Melt into tears. Melt into shame. Melt into repentance. But something's got to happen to melt that hard heart of yours so that you can be bent back into something useful for the Lord. I don't even know if some of you think about the way the dedicated, sincere, Serious Christians can fail. We can fail. We can hit absolute rock bottom. It rarely happens all of the sudden. It's usually sort of a slow descent to the bottom. It's a, it's a fading of faith. It's a, it's a slow leak. And for some of you, it's happening right now. In your life, right now, faith is just flushing away. Here's the good news. Those serious, dedicated followers of Jesus who fail, who hit rock bottom, whose faith just drains away sometimes, Jesus will take you back. Listen to me. He'll take you back. It can be a very, very difficult thing. When you've been cold for a long, long time, it can be difficult when Jesus begins to stoke the fire again. That can be difficult for you. When you have not been yielding to his will, it becomes difficult when he begins to bend your life once more into something useful to him. I'm telling you that it's not necessarily easy, but I'm telling you that it happens. If you will look back into his face today, if you will allow yourself, your life to be brought back into cycle, back into the spirit, back into where Jesus wants you to be, if you will be on when he wants you on and off when he wants you off, if you will allow your life to come back into synchronization with the movements of Christ and his spirit, he'll take you back. He will repair everything broken, everything weak. He will relight the fire of everything that's grown cold inside of you. In that beautiful, molten moment, you will melt in his hands. He will shape you back into something useful for him. Pray with me.
Lord, there are cold Christian hearts in this house today. There are cold Christian hearts in churches all over the place. Lord, there are Christians who take your name, but they follow you at a distance and they deny you at every turn. Lord, I pray that you would set on fire some cold Christian hearts in this house today. I pray that people would begin to hear the flub, 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 flub of their prayer life. The flub, 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 Lord, of of their life in Scripture, their life of service. Lord, I pray that people would begin to recognize the slow leak of faith in their lives and begin, Lord, to turn back around and come to you for help. Lord Jesus, I pray that every cold Christian heart in this house would melt today in the beauty and grace of your presence. Lord, that we might melt and then be reshaped to something useful for you. To stand strong and stand bravely. To stand before others. Take your name. Lord Jesus, there are Christians in this house that are headed, Lord, headed for a complete, total blowout. Don't even know it. Lord Jesus, I pray that they would see the signs, that they would see what's missing in their lives, that they would sense the coldness of their own heart before it's too late. Lord Jesus, for every one of us who has failed you, for every one of us who has embarrassed ourselves before you, For every one of us, Lord, who knows the sound of the cock's crow, every one of us who knows that look in your face when we have sinned, Lord, I pray that every one of us today will remember that in that moment when the rooster crows, you will still take us back. You will still call us your disciple. We'll just come back and follow you. Bring us back, Lord, to follow you with no turning back. Pray these things, Jesus, in your gracious name. Amen.